Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online, as well as folks from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, and Airdrie. You know, over the last several months, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and right now we are in a sermon series called Press On. Christians are called to a life of patient endurance. When we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, it is not for short-term gain. We are in it for the long haul. Years ago, author Eugene Peterson wrote a book that became a Christian classic. And the title of the book summarizes God's intent for the Christian life. He called the book a long obedience in the same direction. In an age of quick fix and instant gratification, that is a rare quality. Our world's attention span is limited and has been conditioned by 30-second commercials. In light of that reality, Peterson says, it is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Peterson goes on to say, in our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. You know, the truth is, God wants our Christian commitment to last for a lifetime. The discipleship journey is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And I've seen people start off their Christian lives with incredible zeal, but somewhere down the line, they get stuck in a rut, and they lose their passion and first love for Jesus. They get easily winded and abandon the race. How do we avoid these pitfalls in our discipleship journey? How can we press on until the very end? One way God helps us to persevere in our faith is by testing us. He loves to test the fortitude of our faith. Faith tests are intended to purify us, sanctify us, and strengthen us. They may not be pleasant at the time, but they are a necessary part of the Christian life. They are God's gift to us. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus tests the faith of people. And we're going to look at what these tests look like today in our world. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture. And the person whose faith is being tested passes in flying colors. Now, if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. 
Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, Women, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for how you test us, not to fail us, but to strengthen us and to help us to develop the fortitude of our faith. And even today, we pray that you will teach us some key lessons that we will be able to apply to our lives when we go through, through these faith tests. So minister your word in the power of your spirit. Let these words come alive in our hearts and be appropriated to our lives. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. Now, how many of you think what we just read seems like a troubling story? Now, here's a foreign woman who comes to Jesus in a desperate state. Jesus first ignores her and uses a term that could be perceived as a racial slur and gives this poor lady a hard time. Isn't that bizarre? Isn't this a peculiar response from our Savior? And we have seen Jesus in action in the Gospel of Matthew. His heart always goes out to people who are hurting. And readers of this passage may ask, why is Jesus here being so insensitive, so condescending? And this doesn't match with the description of Jesus that we know. What is going on? I promise you we're going to get there today. But let me first give you the context, the larger context of this passage, which is critical to understanding this text. Now, after a series of confrontations with the religious leaders, Jesus withdrew to Tyre and Sidon, both are Gentile cities. The entire area was pagan and therefore despised by the Jews. In the passage that is just prior to our text, we see Jesus was confronting the Pharisees' notion of what is clean and unclean. In essence, Jesus was saying, spiritually speaking, cleanliness is not to do with the externals, but it is a matter of the heart. And when the disciples questioned Jesus further and asked for more clarity, his response to them was, Whatever goes into your mouth cannot defile you, but the words that you speak can defile a person because they come from the heart. Now, this larger context throws light on our passage. Jesus is reaching out to a Canaanite woman, and others may see her as ceremonially unclean, but Jesus shows us how her great faith has made her clean and acceptable before God. On the one hand, we see here that Jesus was going to test his disciples to expand their faith and teach them about the inclusive nature of the gospel. And on the other hand, he was going to test this woman and her faith to demonstrate that she too 
is welcome in the family of Jesus. Now I'm going to show you first how Jesus tested the disciples, and then we will focus our attention on the women. So Jesus and his disciples were in forbidden territory. And he deliberately brought them there to grow their faith. And God does that today. He takes you to places you thought you will never go. Offers you experiences that you never conceived of in your life's journey. But all of this is with the object of growing your faith. As Peter, Andrew, John, Judas walked into this Gentile territory, clearly they must have been uncomfortable. It is like an affluent person going into a, a seedy area of the inner city. To make matters worse, a Canaanite woman from the hood came seeking for help. Now, Matthew is the most Jewish of the four Gospels. So he deliberately uses the term Canaanite. Mark's Gospel is a bit more specific and calls her a Syro-Phoenician woman. Now, what is the big deal about the word Canaanite? If you know your Old Testament, the Canaanites were the arch enemies of Israel. And they had a history of conflict that had lasted for hundreds of years. God had told the Israelites to overpower the Canaanite nations and take over the promised land. So clearly, they were their adversaries, rivals. So here they are, Jesus and his disciples, in an unfamiliar place, a forbidden territory, and the last person they want to meet approaches them. She's a woman, a Syrian, a Phoenician, of Canaanite descent, with a demon-possessed daughter. Now, can it get any worse than that? And from the disciples' point of view... If there's anyone who's the lowest of low in the spiritual barrel, here is this person. When Jesus doesn't respond to this woman's request, the disciples would have thought, of course he's not going to answer you. You have a wrong gender, wrong race, wrong religion, wrong language. There's nothing right about you. Now look at how Jesus responds to this woman's cry for help. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we've tried chasing this lady away and she wouldn't budge. Get her out of here. Tell her as it is. We don't do favors for a person like you. And then Jesus says something next that I'll clarify later, but I'll just read it for now. Verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You know, the disciples would have heard that, and they would have cheered and clapped their hands. Yes. Jesus is our Messiah who has come to save our people, no one else but us, because we are so special. And when they heard what Jesus was going to say next, the disciples would have high-fived each other. Or if we follow the COVID protocol, they would have given each other an elbow bump. 
Here's verse 26. And Jesus replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, there would have been some hallelujahs in the background. Here's the clincher. Jesus seems to be so condescending. We Jews are the children, and you Gentiles are dogs. And everyone knows there's a big difference between children and dogs. Well, they were not a particularly canine-loving society, you see. If you ask that same question here, some people may say children and dogs, mm, they're kind of close, not in that culture. So Jesus is setting his disciples up really, really well. And soon he's going to say, got ya. Look at how the story finishes. Verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, Women, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. At the very end, Jesus just reverses it. The disciples would have just fallen off their chairs when they heard Jesus say these words. The one with great faith. The Greek word there for great is mega. So Jesus is saying the one with mega faith, the one who really demonstrates a supreme confidence in God and as a result is valued, admired, appreciated, acknowledged in heaven is this despised, unclean Canaanite woman. Now, who are the people in Matthew's gospel with great faith? It's not the disciples. They constantly waver in their faith. Not the strictly religious Pharisees. Not the Jewish people with the right pedigree. The two people in the entire gospel of Matthew who are praised by Jesus for their great faith are both Gentiles. One, a Roman centurion. We looked at in Matthew chapter 8. And now this woman here in Matthew chapter 15. This was the disciples' faith test. Jesus wanted the disciples to let go of their deep-rooted prejudices. The gospel is a message for all people, no matter the gender, the race, background, culture. The good news of Jesus breaks every one of those barriers. And the church needs to be reminded of this truth every now and then. For if we are not careful, we can start despising people of a different gender, race, culture, religion. We can start looking down on certain sin and make them the ultimate. We can selfishly keep God's love for ourselves instead of giving it away. And Jesus keeps reminding us the gospel is much bigger than what we think, and it is a message for all people. Now, as we move to the second part of this message, I want to focus on how Jesus tested the faith of this 
Canaanite woman. Imagine a parent with a child in distress. You know, a few years ago, it was a Friday night around 10 p.m. I was scheduled to preach the next day, and I was still working on my sermon. And my wife came running to my study, and she said, our oldest son has a large peanut stuck in his nose. He was three years old at the time. And we tried every home remedy we can to get him to sneeze and get the peanut out. It didn't work. He was deposited deep inside. He had done a very professional job of sticking it in. You know, finally, after all our futile attempts, an hour had gone by, and we decided it's time to run to the children's hospital. And you wonder, that late at night, the hospital will be empty, that the doctors are just sitting idle and just waiting for you to come, and that is just not true. We've made several trips to the children's hospital at night over the years, and I can tell you every time there's a long lineup. At midnight at the children's hospital emergency, what do people have in common? A child in distress. Good parents would do anything to find relief for a child in need. Even if it is going to be inconvenient, they wait all night in the hospital so they can get that help desperately for their child. So we waited that night for over four hours before we were able to see a doctor who managed to successfully get that peanut out. And I preached that weekend with practically no sleep, And I said to my wife, we need to keep that peanut as a souvenir because parenting is hard work. So this woman in our story is a mom. And her daughter is suffering terribly in great distress. And one can only imagine how helpless she felt as a demonic spirit tortured her daughter. The lady hears word from someone that there is a person in town. He has authority to heal and cast demons. He can help your daughter. That's it. The woman comes in humility before a Jewish teacher, knowing very well what kind of treatment she would receive, all because of a child in distress. Look at our text, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. The woman comes to Jesus on behalf of her child. And notice this, she's a Canaanite woman, but she uses Jesus' messianic title. She calls him son of David. Now, as I told you, Israel and the Canaanite nations had been in conflict for years. She disregards all that, and she acknowledges Jesus for who he is. Six times in the Gospel of Matthew, people refer to Jesus as son of David. Every one of those were either sick, blind, demon-possessed, oppressed, 
Not once does this phrase come from the mouth of the religious leaders who knew the law inside out. So she calls him son of David and uses the word Lord three times in this text. She kneels down at Jesus' feet and she begs him for help. Mark's gospel says she fell at Jesus' feet. Lord, help me. Help me. Now picture this in your mind. This is an emotional scene. With tears streaming, in deep desperation, this woman cast herself entirely at Jesus' feet, asking him to intervene on behalf of her daughter. If ever there was a genuine request for help, this was one. How was Jesus going to respond to that? Jesus is silent. Silent. No words, no response, no compassion, no empathy. He completely ignores her. Come on, Jesus, you had compassion on the crowd. Why not this poor mom who's seen her daughter suffer so much and is now seeking you in desperation? Sometimes in life, God responds to our cries for help immediately. We have a desperate problem, and we cry out, Jesus, help me, and he sends help. It comes at the right time. A miraculous provision, a supernatural protection, a touch of healing. God meets our needs in response to our cry. And there are other times in life God seems to be silent. Your prayers remain unanswered. You're made to wait even though you're so desperate. Your faith comes under fire. It is easy to say, Jesus, you're Lord, you're Son of David, you're the Messiah, and use all those descriptive phrases. But Jesus wanted to know from this woman whether she really meant it. Is that just a superficial confession so she can get her healing and walk away? Will she love and worship Jesus even if he doesn't give her what she wanted? See, Jesus is testing the genuineness of her faith. Anyone can make statements about God and his character when life is easy. But when things go wrong in your life, that's when your theology of God is tested and what we truly believe about him just comes out. And those times of complete silence, you may think Jesus is not paying attention, but the truth is he is waiting to see how you are going to respond. Are you going to give up? Are you going to turn away in disappointment? Or are you going to believe and keep clinging to God? Jesus was silent that day because he wanted 
everyone to see the resilience of this woman's faith. He wanted his disciples to know that the person that they had branded as unclean is a person of mega faith in God's eyes. And Jesus knew hundreds of years later, we will be reading this story and be encouraged by her faith. So he remained silent for our benefit. Who knows? Who knows what is at stake when your faith is being tested? Maybe God wants others around you to see your great faith amidst adversity and be encouraged by it. Now, let me address this here, because you may still be wondering, why is Jesus being rude to this poor woman? As you read the four Gospels, you will not find Jesus being mean to women. And this story is not an exception to that rule. Jesus was very countercultural in his treatment of women. He gave them utmost respect and valued them as partners in ministry. Jesus had women traveling with him as disciples. Did you know that? Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, it reads this way. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Jesus had female followers, and he allowed them to contribute to his mission. That was radical in those times. Clearly, Jesus never discriminated against women. In fact, he reached out to them. He reached out to the one with a bleeding disorder who was socially rejected, and he called her daughter. He raised a widow's son from the dead. He cared deeply for Mary and Martha. So even in our text, Jesus is not insulting this mom. Not at all. But then, why is he referring to her as a dog? Jews called Gentiles dogs, and that was a racial slur. Dogs in those times were wild, and they lived on the streets. They were not pets. It still is in many parts of the world. These dogs didn't belong to anyone, and they ate food from the garbage dump. They were scavengers, and you don't want these dogs inside the house. You don't want to pet them or, or play with them or, because it's so dirty and unclean. And that is the word the Jews used to refer to Gentiles, hinting that they are unclean and dirty. Now look at Jesus' words here in verse 26. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. The word Jesus uses here for dogs is not the common word that the Jews would have used 
to refer to Gentiles. So that's clearly not a racial slur. The normal Greek word for dog is kion, and Jesus uses the word kynarion, which is a diminutive form. So in today's language, we, we would translate that as a puppy. So Jesus is talking here about a domesticated dog kept as a house pet. The Jews didn't have dogs as pets, but some Gentiles did. Granted, they didn't get the royal treatment that we give our dogs here in North America, but at least they didn't have to fend for themselves. So what Jesus is saying here is not as insulting as it appears in our English translation. He's merely pointing to the order. In a family, you feed the children first, the puppies get to eat later. They get their food, but they'll have to wait. So in the same way Jesus is saying his ministry was primarily to Israel. He had come as a Jewish Messiah to the lost sheep of Israel to fulfill God's covenant promises to Abraham. The time for Gentile ministry will come towards the end of the gospel. In fact, we will see the great commission in Matthew's gospel at the very end, calling us to make disciples of all nations. But that particular moment wasn't the time for it. Now, going back to the woman, we need to see the tenacity of her faith. First time she comes to Jesus in distress, he ignores her. Second time she is falling at his feet and pleading for help, he excludes her. He says, I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel. The third time he indirectly refers to her as a puppy, not worthy of the children's bread. So Jesus throws one obstacle after another in order to stretch her faith. And she, in turn, is not deterred in any way. Whatever the obstacle may be, she keeps holding on to Jesus and refuses to let him go. This woman knew that only Jesus could rescue her daughter from her deep distress. So look at her response to Jesus' words. Verse 27. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This amazing story is the only time in the Gospels someone wins an argument with Jesus. With her wit, she gets the better of him, and Jesus concedes to her point. She accepts her secondary status, She's not entitled to receive the bread, but she asks to feed on the crumbs that fall from the dinner table. And in doing so, she passes her faith in flying colors. Do you see what Jesus was doing? By testing her, Jesus was drawing out her faith brought her faith to the surface. Her faith came alive, and even the disciples witnessed it. 
Jesus acknowledges immediately her incredible faith and that she is a model for all of his disciples. Jesus grants her request and she goes back home, finds her daughter no longer in any kind of distress, but sleeping peacefully. She had been totally healed. Now, the most amazing part of this woman's faith is not that she got what she wanted, but she refused to give up. That's what mega faith is all about. Holding on to Jesus and not letting go of him. Lord, I don't always understand what I'm going through, but I am not going to let go of you, Jesus. Life may treat me bad. I am not going to let go of you. My dreams may not come to pass, but Jesus, I am not going to let go of you. I may not receive the healing I desire, the promotion that I long for, see the salvation of loved ones that I've been praying for, but I'm not letting go of you, Jesus. The COVID crisis may seem to be going on forever, but I am not letting go of you, Jesus. No matter your circumstances, firmly hold on to Jesus and never let go of his hand. Press on in your race until the very end. Jesus calls that mega faith, and surely he will reward you for it. At this time, I'm going to hand it back to our worship team to play a closing song. But I'm going to ask all of us to stand, those of us who are watching us online or from other campuses. I'm going to request you to stand right now. Before I hand it to our team, I want to speak to you for a moment just to allow you to reflect on what you heard. Maybe you are in a difficult season right now and you feel like giving up. You feel like following Jesus is not making sense. And this is a time I want to give you to say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I feel. I choose to believe. I choose to hold on to you. The team is going to sing a powerful song. Would you personalize this and say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need your grace. Sustain me even in these difficult times. So I'm going to hand it to our team now. Let's sing from our heart and express our faith in Jesus.